Hey church, so we are in week two of a six week series that we have called Rooted and we are looking at a few areas, a few roots that we can strengthen to enable us to to draw life and nourishment and that living water for our souls so that we can live the best life we can, that life that we were created to live. So let me just read to you once again that core verse from Ephesians chapter 3 that just kind of sets the pace and the, the goal for what it is that we're discussing. It says this, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So we're spending just a few weeks digging into some areas that we can develop to help us live this life filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, filled to overflowing. And last week we looked at uh, the value and the importance of being rooted in God's presence. There really is no better place to be, is there? But as for me, the psalmist writes, but as for me, how good it is to be near God. And it's something, isn't it, that we need to be in, intentional about, not, not letting it become routine or stale, uh, not to let it just be a one-way conversation, but to, to spend time resting in, delighting in the presence of God and, and actually hearing from him, listening out for that still, small voice. And so this flows really nicely into this week's topic, which is rooted in worship. Rooted in worship. You see, as you spend time in God's presence, as you, as you draw close to him, the promise is that he will draw close to you. And actually, as he does that, he begins to reveal more and more of who he is. And as this, uh, as this greater revelation of who he is begins to unfold, and, and this is relevant if you're, if you're brand new to this and it's going to be your first encounter with God, or, or if you've been walking with him for years, there's, there's always something new to discover about God. And so as we get this, this greater revelation of who God is, the, the breadth and length and height and depth of his love, our natural response from being in his presence is to worship. Because worship flows from being rooted in God's presence, from being surrounded by his, his love, his grace, his power and his mercy. I don't know about you, but I am missing corporate worship, gathering together to sing. 
more than anything else except seeing your beautiful faces, of course. I miss singing together. I'm counting down the days until we reopen and assuming all goes to, to plan, we will be together right here in the building, 27th of June, and we are gonna worship. That is gonna be an incredible service. I cannot wait. But over this past year or more, we have been forced to find time to, to create space to, to worship God in the quiet place, haven't we? And for many of us, that might be quite a new experience. Perhaps like me, you love the, the whole corporate worship, singing together, live band, loud music, lights, the works, all of that. But, but when that is, is taken away from us, when all that is, is stripped away, we're, we're forced into something new. And, and actually, similar to the theme of last week, we're led into something that can be quiet and restful. I wonder, how have you found yourself worshipping through, through lockdown, through this past year? Have you, have you found a, a new rhythm of, of giving God praise and, and glory and the adoration that he deserves? I don't know, maybe you like to have a sing in the shower. There's great acoustics in there, isn't there? Or maybe you sing along in the car. Perhaps for you, worship looks like just really taking in all of God's creation of, of, of being awoken afresh to the beauty that is all around us. I don't know, but I, I hope and I pray that in this season that you have found space and you have created time to worship God in a new way. I know that for some, when when Sundays here in church were, were stripped away, that actually it left a hole, it left a gap where, where, you know, once we would sing together for maybe half an hour or so, and now we just watch or listen to a five-minute song online on a Sunday. Of course, worship isn't just about music or singing. Let's not call a slice the whole pizza. In fact, why don't you indulge me for a while this morning uh, while we just have a, a teaching moment. Do you know the first time that worship is mentioned in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 22 when, when God instructs Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. Why don't we just read this portion of scripture together. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the, the burnt offering and, and laid it on his son Isaac. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife 
So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? He's starting to realize something is, is going to miss here. Where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. And when they came to the place of which God had told Abraham, God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of of the Lord called out to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by, thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Wow, what a powerful story and we'll come back to that story in a little while but for for now let's just look at this word worship abraham says to his servants stay here with the donkey i and the boy will go over there and worship the word worship here is is the hebrew word shacha and it literally translates to bow down to bow down and then there's another Hebrew word with, with connotations of worship, and that is mincha. I hope I'm saying these words right. Shacha and mincha. And this second word, it, it translates as, as offering, laying down, giving something up. And if you're not a fan of, of Old Testament language, then the, the Greek word for most of the, the New Testament is written in, in Greek. The Greek word for worship found in the New Testament is proskiniao. Again, I think I'm saying that right, proskiniao, which literally translates to fall on your knees, to touch the ground with your forehead. So what we're seeing through, through looking at this language used in the Bible is that worship isn't about music. It's not about tithing. It's not about what we say or what we do. Worship is a posture. Worship is a posture. In fact, if you just visualize this for a moment, maybe you want to get down on the floor for a minute and bow down so you can really get in the moment. I do it, but I'll probably go off camera and you won't be able to see me. There's no one here to to pan down, so I'll let you guys do it at home. But just think what happens for a minute when you bow down on the floor, on your knees, and you touch the floor with your forehead. What happens when we place ourselves in this posture of worship? Our heart rises above our head. Let me say that again so it really sinks in. When we place ourselves in this posture of worship, our heart rises above our head. 
You see, God doesn't want your voice, your money, your skills, your talents. Of course, we will give him those things as an offering because we want to bless him. But he doesn't want your perfection, your expertise. What he wants is your heart. In Luke 18, Jesus tells, uh, he tells this parable. He says, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Which one of these men was, was worshipping in a way that was honouring to God? Which one of these two men had the right posture? I tell you, Jesus says, I tell you, this man, the, the tax collector, this man went down to his house justified, made right with God, rather than the other one, the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. In Mark chapter 7, verse 6, Jesus uh, reminds the Pharisees of the words that Isaiah spoke. He says, This people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You see, God doesn't want token gestures. He doesn't want lip service. He doesn't want us to be false or, or, or holier than thou. He wants our hearts that thing that's beating inside your chest is it's the greatest gift that you can ever give to God. When Jesus was speaking with the, uh, with the woman at the well, she asked him about worship and he said this in John chapter 4. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Those who worship him, true worshippers, must worship in spirit and in truth. So what does that actually mean? It's easy to kind of read these kind of words, but what does that translate to in, in real money? To worship in spirit, I believe, means to, to connect with God in a, in a non-physical way. Worship shouldn't be about, about uh, rituals, traditions, a physical 
building or, or the way and the, the order in which a church service flows. And neither does worship need to consist of uh, well-practiced prayers, songs, individual or corporate. These can be useful for worship, but that's not the focus. That's not what God is talking about here. To worship in, in spirit is to allow the overflow of being rooted in God's presence to pour out of us our love, our, our thanks, our adoration for, for all that he's done. When we are filled to the measure with all the fullness of God, then that flows out of us in worship. And I also believe it's about worshipping in partnership with the Holy Spirit. Because as believers in Christ, his spirit lives within us and it's that spirit that awakens in us a greater understanding of God's beauty, of his splendor and his power. It's the Holy Spirit that opens our eyes to see all that God is. So we need to worship God in spirit, but what does it mean to worship him in truth? In John chapter 8, Jesus says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And then later in John, a couple of chapters further on, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. To worship in truth means to, to, to live and to love in line with Scripture. If you abide in my word, we need to be rooted in God's word. And Joe's going to look at that in a, in a few weeks' time. Our worship must be informed by who God is, by the, the truth of, of what he's really like, of his character. Our worship needs to be rooted in the revelation that comes from the living word of God. Our worship isn't shaped by, by what looks cool or by what feels good, but it's shaped by the light of what is true. Jesus is truth, and truth brings with it freedom. Freedom from the, the lies that the enemy has spoken over us. Freedom from the, the restrictions of society and the media. Freedom from, from the boundaries of what we think worship should be. Freedom to be who we were created to be. Freedom to, to worship in the way that God created us to worship. And that is different for you and for me. We are all unique. Worshipping in truth, I believe, is also it's about authenticity, about not hiding behind a mask or a facade, but being real with God, allowing ourselves to be, to be vulnerable in his presence. Will we worship like the, the Pharisee with his loud voice and his boasting? Or will we worship like the humble tax collector who was just honest and real, beating his chest and recognizing that we're not worthy to be in God's presence. Will we stand up tall or will we bow down with our head on the ground before our king? Okay, so 
back to the story of, of Isaac and of Abraham, this first mention of, of worship. So God has instructed Abraham to take his only son Isaac up the mountain and sacrifice him. Let's just put this story in context if you're not aware. God has spoken over Abraham that he would be a father of nations by changing his name from Abram, meaning exalted father, to Abraham, meaning father of many. So God has spoken this promise over him. But when he spoke that that promise, Abraham had no children. So then God blesses him and his wife, Sarah, 190 years old, respectively, with a son, Isaac. And so at this command to take his only son, Isaac, and and to sacrifice him, Abraham must have been just battling with this this crazy mix of emotions and, and confusion. Firstly, being asked to to sacrifice a child. Now, I know that kids can sometimes be annoying and we might think things in our heads that should never be spoken out loud, but this seems a tad extreme. I don't think you need to be a parent to recognize how incredibly heart-wrenching this must have been for him. But we don't see any of that in the story as we read before. God commands Abraham, take your son Isaac, sacrifice him. And he gets up the next day, early in the morning, to go and do just that. And then on top of the, 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 top of like the, the emotion and the turmoil of, of sacrificing his son, there's also the confusion that God has promised Abraham will be a father of nations. And yet he wants me to sacrifice my son Isaac. It makes no logical sense, does it? So off they go on this this three-day journey for a father to sacrifice his son, this this powerful foreshadowing of of what would happen almost 2,000 years later when God the Father sent his only son Jesus to be sacrificed as an offering for all of us. And how did Abraham worship God? How did Abraham worship God? What what was it that made this look like worship? He gave the one thing that mattered most to him. He gave the one thing that mattered most to him. We're not called to give God what we want, but we're called to give God what he wants. And so Abraham gave up the most important thing to him, his son Isaac. And this theme runs throughout scripture, doesn't it? Because Jesus asked James and John to leave their father. He asked the rich young ruler to leave behind his wealth. He asked the woman caught in adultery to leave behind her sin. He asked Paul to leave behind his reputation. He asked Matthew to leave his job. And here he wants Abraham to give up the son whom he loves. But how could Abraham do it? How could he physically go through with this, seemingly without complaining or or questioning what God was asking of him? I believe, I believe that it's because he saw this as an act of worship in spirit and in truth. 
as a parent, I don't believe this is something he could do on his own. This act of, of submission, of following through with this, this huge request of God. I believe that it could only be done with the help of the Holy Spirit. Because Abraham didn't know what was going to happen. He didn't know if God was, was going to replace Isaac with uh, the ram. He didn't know if Isaac was going to be raised from the dead after he'd sacrificed him. He didn't know if this was going to be it and that he would go up there and sacrifice his son and then that would be the end of Isaac's life. He didn't know what was going to happen, but I believe his, his faithfulness in following through, in, in committing and agreeing and walking that path was him worshipping in truth. Abraham's faith was rooted in the truth of who God is. All-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving, a, a caring father, his, his comfort, his peace. He knew that God loved him. He knew that God would never fail him. He knew that God had promised that he would be a father of many nations through Isaac. It was out of Abraham's knowledge of the truth of who God is, that he was able to bow down in that sense with his heart above his head, a heart that was in tune with God's heart and worship God in that way. In this moment of faith, in this, in this moment of true worship, Abraham was willing to offer a true sacrifice of praise. And of course, ultimately, God provided for him as he, as he reached out to kill his son, an angel of the Lord called out to him, Abraham, don't lay a hand on the boy. I see your faith. I see your worship. And he provides a ram to die instead of Isaac. As I close today, why not ask yourself these questions? What is the most important thing to you right now? Is it your problems? Is it your past? Your friends? Your money? Your lack of money? Status? Position? Popularity? Perhaps God is asking you to sacrifice that to him today. Perhaps he's asking you to give up the thing that is most important to you. And also ask yourself this question, how easy do you find it to obey God when things are tough, when life is hard, or when what God is asking of you comes with a cost? But know this, God is good. God is good. He loves you. He's for you. And what he wants from you right now is your heart. Let's be a church that is rooted in worship. Let's be a church that bows down on the floor with our heads on the ground, putting our hearts above our heads in worship to our Heavenly Father. Why don't we pray? Father God, we just thank you for the truth and the knowledge that you are good, that you are a good, good father. 
We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you are for us. We thank you that you have got plans to prosper us and not to harm us. And so God, today, we just want to worship you. We want to worship you in, in, a, in a sense that is true, worshiping you in spirit and in truth. So Father God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, enable us to, to, to give of ourselves more than we could if we were to do it on our own. And God, help us to ground ourselves in the, the truth and the knowledge of who you are. And out of that, let the, the, the joy flow, let the worship flow, let the gratitude and the love flow from us. Because God, you are worthy of all praise. You are worthy of all adoration. You are above all things. And we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.